All right, guys, welcome back into another NFL DFS video. My name is Eric Paulzine with 95 Sports. Going to be getting into the week two game by game breakdown. This is going to be the deep dive. This is where we find the best values. We find our core plays. Uh, we just break down the whole slate and find out some, you know, the best bets as well. This is a process that I love going through. So, and I hope that you guys enjoy it too. If you do, please give me a like and subscribe. That does help out the channel a lot. There's a lot of research that goes into this. There's a lot of time that goes into this. So if you guys do appreciate that, you know, just let me know as well, because this is really where I get most of my information for the week. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. Let's get into it. All right. So we got the Chargers versus the Chiefs for Thursday Night Football. Now the Chargers are um, four dogs or four point underdogs in this game. And I don't know if I exactly agree with that. Okay. Um, the Chargers look very good, but so did the Kansas City Chiefs. So I guess I get it. You got the Kansas City Chiefs at home. That's also part of it as well. So I would say that this game does have a pretty good chance of being one of the better Thursday night football games that we're going to get all year. Uh, last week, the Chargers pass rush was a big factor in the game. Uh, Joey Bosa had 1.5 sacks, while Khalil Mack had three sacks. So they were able to get pressure on Derek Carr, overall hitting him nine times. And that played a big role into why Derek Carr struggled throwing uh, three interceptions and having two fumbles. Like, he struggled. So if the Chargers can get some pressure on Patrick Mahomes, then yes, the Chargers can have a great game. Now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes had a really good game last week, was not really pressured in that one. So one of those two has to give. Either the Chargers are going to get pressure on him and Mahomes is not going to be as stellar, or they're not going to get any pressure and Mahomes is still going to dominate. Uh, Bryce Callahan as well for the Chargers, kind of the slot corner. He had an interception and he kind of shut down Hunter Runfell. He was in position to make another INT last week as well. So what I'm trying to get at is that Juju Smith-Schuster, the slot receiver could actually end up struggling in this game like that would not be a huge surprise if Juju does not have a big game and if Juju struggles then we'd be looking at different receivers like MVS possibly to step up he'd be someone that you could look at and for sure on purposes I do like MVS he's a deep ball threat we like that but McCole Hardman as well he's a very good uh price point play on the showdown slate uh, i do expect him to continue to get about six targets now obviously last week he scored a touchdown and that is what vaulted his dfs points but he should still be a solid play on the slate especially if juju smith schuster does struggle kind of like i expect him to uh from there i do want to get into a little bit of the running backs because austin eckler did not play a full allotment of snaps like he had in the previous games we actually saw sony michelle and josh uh kelly get about uh, 25% of the touches as well. So Eckler had about 50% of the snaps there, which I thought was strange. Like getting around 50% of the snaps is strange. He still saw four targets. He still had 14 rushing attempts. You know, a total of 18 opportunities was still there. I do expect him to have a much better game. He is much more appealing to me on the full slate than he is on the showdown slate. On the showdown slate, he's a little bit priced up. Now, obviously, we have Keenan Allen out. That should mean that someone like Mike Williams is targeted a little bit more. No player in the Chargers last week had more than four targets, okay? I expect that to get corrected. I expect Keenan Allen, or not Keenan, I expect Austin Eckler to get more than four targets. I expect Mike Williams to get more than four targets. And I actually do love Josh Palmer to get more than four targets. He makes for a great showdown play. Doesn't make for a good full slate play. Um, I do expect him to get more than four targets. Like, at the beginning of the year, if you told me that Keenan Allen was going to be out, Josh Palmer was going to be very cheap on a showdown slate, in a very high total game, like I would have just locked that in. So he is someone that I'm looking to play on captain uh, in the captain spot on a showdown slate. So that's definitely a play that I'm intrigued in. And then obviously both quarterback plays you can easily play, especially on the showdown slate. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did light it up. I mean, highly efficient there. Had a great game. Five touchdowns, obviously. Don't really need to dwell on that. And Josh... Justin Herbert, although, you know, he spread the ball around, he had a very good game there as well. Threw the ball 34 times, 279 passing yards for three touchdowns, okay? He didn't have to force the ball to anyone, okay? And that was kind of the reason why Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Josh Palmer, even Keenan Allen, I guess, did get it going at the start of the game but got injured. But that is why all those pass catchers did not get that many targets because, while well, he was able to spread the wealth and he'll be highly efficient. But I do expect both those quarterback plays to be stellar plays. Uh, if I had to choose a winner in this game, I guess it would be the Chiefs at plus four. I do like that. I think both of these teams are pretty much even keel. It's just whether or not the Chargers can clutch up. I expect them to have a good game in this one, so I'm going to go Chargers at plus four. All right, now we're going to get into the next game. We got the Carolina Panthers versus the New York Giants, okay? The Giants are favored to win by two points. The over and under for this game is set at 43.5, okay? So it's not expected to be that high scoring of a game. Really, the biggest takeaway of this game is Saquon Barkley. Okay, he was very dominant, and that's really the reason why the Giants won, okay? Like, it, it was strange. Kadarius Tony. A lot of people corrected me on that. Uh, I'm going to keep calling him Tooney until 
the head coach figures out the Looney Tooney. That was terrible. The Looney Tune. That doesn't even make sense. Whatever. Until they figure that out. No, he's Kandarius Tony. I apologize. Um, it's just strange that he's not getting playing time. I mean, he played like seven snaps, had two carries on them, and had like 29 yards total. Like, that is just stupid. Like, get your best playmakers in the game. Honestly, like, it's just so strange. And I think part of the reason, honestly, why he probably didn't play is Tony is Tony is a guy that you get the ball to in short yardage situations like quick dump offs. They kind of use Saquon Barkley a lot in that role. A lot of screens going to him, short yards passes going to him. And I don't know, maybe they just didn't want Tony in there. It was strange. Anyways, Barkley absolutely dominated. We know that. He'd be the play that you'd want to go with the most in this game. Um, 18 rushing attempts, 164 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. I mean, so many opportunities in this game. And he's going against a defense that just gave up 217 rushing yards total and two Ds two TDs to the the Browns last week. Like Saquon Barkley is an absolute spot. He's a core play to me on the site. He's someone I'm definitely going out of my way to play. Looking at the Carolina pasty, they were pretty good. But also at the same time, Jacoby Brissett did not look that good last week. Uh, last week, the Giants allowed five sacks and eight QB hits. Now, they didn't throw the ball that much, only 21 times. But what I'm trying to get at is more likely than not, Daniel Jones is going to struggle in this game once again like he did last week. Now, I know he ran the ball a little bit, which helped him out. He did have two touchdowns, okay? He didn't. I don't think he played that well, okay? He benefited from Saquon Barkley, uh, the defense focusing on them. And heck. That can, that can help him. That can help him for sure once again this game. But I think the Panthers' defense is for real, and I think they can shut down Daniel Jones like they shut down Jacoby Brissett. Now, looking at Baker Mayfield, he did really struggle last week, and I kind of expected that. I expected him to struggle. He has really kind of just sucked in the motivation, motivation-based games. Uh, in the NFL thus far. A lot of people like remember what he did in college for his like motivated games and like he dominated in those ones. No, he sucked in the NFL thus far in those type of games. So I kind of expected that. But also I think at the same front, we can kind of just write that off. I don't think Baker is a good quarterback, but I don't think that that's going to be the Baker that we see typically. Okay. He had a 90 and four fumbles. Okay. He didn't lose any of the fumbles, but, and he was still able to score 19 DK points. Um, Kind of looking at it as well, like Lana or, Ryan Tannehill played extremely well last week against the Giants, and that would kind of suggest that Baker Mayfield could do well as well. I just, I don't think Baker's a good quarterback. This is a good price point though. If you want to play him at like 5.3, you could. I just, I don't love it. And he benefited a lot from that rushing touchdown. Now the Giants did really sell out to stop the run last week. Uh, with Derrick Henry. And so maybe, maybe someone like Christian McCaffrey, who kind of got bailed out by a touchdown, maybe he does struggle as well in this game. And what I mean by struggle is he doesn't pay off the 8.9 price point. I could see that happening, but I do expect him to be a little bit more involved in the passing game. Uh, really just my takeaways from this game are Saquon Barkley, you want to play. And I like the Panthers D at 3K. Like you're not paying up too much. They do make a lot of sense. I do expect Daniel Jones to struggle a little bit. And then uh, Kadarius Tony at 4.2. I, I do not mind that. At some point, they're going to have to get him more uh, playing time. And once he does get around 65% of the offensive snaps or so, then he's going to be too cheap. Then he's going to get targets his way. We'll see. Eventually, he's going to get that playing time. I'm not saying go crazy with it. I'm saying maybe 5% of builds because the ceiling game can be there for him if that happens. All right. So now getting into the New York Giants versus the Cleveland Browns. I just kind of talked about the Cleveland Browns a little bit, how they kind of suck, but they were very efficient in the rushing game. Both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb had very big games. Okay. And that could continue once again. But as I was watching the Baltimore defense or that game, the Baltimore Jets game, I noticed that the Jets D did a great job at stopping the run. And this is where we kind of struggle with week one. It's like, were they just stopping the run because they're going against uh, Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis? Or were they stopping the run because the Jets D is for real? For 21 rush rushing attempts, they gave it three yards per carry. Okay. So the biggest takeaway from that would be, do they provide some sort of resistance to Nick Chubb and to Kareem Hunt, especially at their price point? You know, I could see that happening. Are they fades? No. Are there players I'm going out of my way to play? No. Okay, that is the problem there. And I will say the Jets did throw the ball a ton. They were kind of forced the ball a ton. But like Joe Flacco, I don't think he looked downfield past 15 yards at all. I would say a majority, like 75% of his passing attempts were at or near the line of scrimmage. And players like Braxton Berrios, uh, a value play receiver, he benefited from that game, six targets. But then Brees Hall and Michael Carter both benefited from that as well. Brees Hall had 10 targets, okay? Michael Carter had nine targets. And they both looked good. Michael Carter looked really good, okay? He did drop what should have been an easy touchdown late in the fourth quarter. That was like his one bad play. I, 
it was kind of a slightly bad throw for a five yard, what should be pitch and catch. But yeah, he definitely needs to catch that. I mean, besides that, he did really well. Uh, 17 DK points. And honestly, I could kind of see that same usage continuing once again in this game. Um, I don't mind Brees Hall, but for now, it is Michael Carter. He did play a majority of the snaps for that offense, so I do like him. And I do want to touch on Tyler Conklin as well. Tyler Conklin played in 92% of the Jets' offensive snaps. Oh, he got seven targets, and he did have a touchdown, but he didn't have that many yards, 14 yards total. Okay, that's the worry, but I do like that he was on the field a ton. We can get a tight end that had seven targets and played in 92% of their offensive snaps. Like that is crazy at 3.4. Like you just don't get that these days. So I don't mind Tyler Conklin at 3.4. It's a play that makes a lot, a lot of sense. And then from there, I will just say that like all the receivers look good. Elijah Moore did get some targets on key situations, whether it be on third or fourth down. Okay. And he had a touchdown that was called an offensive pass interference. And it certainly was. But I don't think it gets called an offensive pass interference if the defender doesn't like fall and hurt himself. So like Elijah Moore like shoves off the defender for sure, but the defender kind of had his leg planted in the ground. So like when Elijah Moore shoves him, his like knee buckles, and then it was kind of like it's not a flop because he got injured. But you know if he doesn't get injured on that, I just don't see the the referees calling that because it wasn't like a it wasn't too crazy. You know, it was kind of just a standard play and he didn't like overly extend his arm. So kind of unfortunate there for him, but he still saw seven targets. I will say Garrett Wilson was highly impressive in this one, guys. He had eight targets and he he looked good. Like he he just did. Um, the, the big plays were there for him. Braxton Barriers look good and Corey Davis was highly efficient. The problem that I'm trying to get at here is that they all look good and they all had a role. And for me, that is something I'm just going to be avoiding then. Okay. And then from there, like, I just don't like any of the Cleveland players because they're all kind of priced correctly at like, sure. Cooper could get targeted a little bit more, but Jacoby Brissett looked terrible. Uh, Mark Cooper was able to get open a lot, but they just didn't see him in that game. So yeah, I'm just not going to be touching Amari Cooper. I'm not really going to be touching anyone for Cleveland there. I do like the Jets just because of their price points, but you know, that's a game that I'm just not going crazy with. Obviously, I like Tyler Conklin a lot. Betting-wise, I don't really see a bet that I want to make in that. The over and under is 39.5, and the Jets are um, six and a half point underdogs. So, I don't know, maybe go the Jets a little bit, like six and a half point underdogs. Maybe they cover that. I do expect the Browns to win, though. All right, so we got the Steelers versus the New England Patriots. Now, the Steelers are two-point underdogs, and they're at home, which I find interesting. The over and under is set at 40 points. The biggest things that we need to watch for are Mac Jones, who apparently was having back spasms at the end of the game last week. And that could really explain why he had a terrible game because he looked terrible, really bad. Like he was missing checkdowns, like <laughs> to receivers that were, you know, pretty open. Like you just, as an NFL quarterback, you don't miss checkdowns the way he was missing them. And so to me, I thought that was so strange. I'm like, there's no way like he digressed this much. I think, I do think it was because of the back spasms. Like that can easily throw off your throwing mechanics to the point where, you know, you're just missing receivers the way he was. Like that just makes sense. Um, so we'll have to see if he plays. If he does not play, Brian Hoyer could put a respectable DFS point number up at 4.8. Like he doesn't need that much to value like 12 DK points or 14 DK points. He could certainly do that. That's really just the touchdown. Mitchell Trubisky did not look good last week. I don't really expect him to look good against the Patriots this week. And then we we have some injury news at the running back position. We had Najee Harris, who man, it looked bad. It looked bad. His uh, he kind of got rolled up on uh, at the in the end of the fourth quarter. And then Jalen Warren had to come in and spell him. It, it is expected that Najee Harris is going to play. And he he did look good. Okay, the numbers are going to say that he looked terrible. He had 10 rushing attempts, 23 yards. But the biggest takeaway I saw is that he was tough to take down. He like They just weren't able to take him down. Now that Steelers line was a big issue and they weren't creating that many holes for him but he was able to like keep defenders honest and you know was very tough to take down so that was encouraging to me and I, I saw Jalen Warren play he did not look as good as what he did in the preseason and that's the problem with the preseason sometimes is that these guys dominate in the preseason and then they get it against actual NFL talent and don't look as good he looked fine I'm not too worried about him but I don't expect him to be an issue for Najee Harris I do want to mention Ty Montgomery so he is on the IR and that is a big thing for both Damian Harris and Reandre Stevenson because Ty Montgomery looked good okay so that would have been an issue for both of them and I will say Damian Harris definitely was the more impressive running back in this game and he kind of have ha, always has been okay like Stevenson is Derrick Henry without the top end speed and I don't mean that in a good way like you get Derrick Henry behind the line of scrimmage he's very easy to take down once you get him past the line of scrimmage he's tough to take down Stevenson is okay in the passing game like 
good hands, but it takes a while for him to get going. Okay. He had one play. It was like an outside toss run that if he had top end speed, he probably scores a touchdown on. Okay. He looked good. I'm not saying he looked bad. I'm saying Damian Harris was much more impressive in this one. And it was intriguing to see him get three targets and get two catches in that game. To me, Damian Harris is the guy that you want to be targeting right now. Maybe not DFS wise, but you know, could he score two touchdowns in this one? He could like it definitely benefited both of them that Montgomery got injured in this game though, for sure. For sure. So one thing I want to talk about as well is like Devontae Parker played in like 91% of the offensive snaps for the New England Patriots last week. And he only got targeted twice. Now, I do think mostly he was brought in to be kind of a red zone presence. And the the Patriots didn't really get to the red zone at all last week. So that could be part of the reason why he wasn't targeted that much. But if he's going to continue to play that many snaps, like there's just no way that he doesn't get targeted more than that. And I will say Jacoby Myers was once again very impressive. Had six targets, four receptions, 55 yards. One rushing attempts for seven yards. He also had one of the best catches of the week last week, a little sideline back shoulder catch. Very impressive. I believe it was on third down as well. So it was kind of a clutch catch there. So Jacoby Myers continues to kind of be the number one kind of weapon in that offense that you want in terms of consistency in a PPR league or you know DFS. Like at 4.4, if we can lock in 10 DK points from Jacoby Myers, like we're perfectly fine with that, honestly. So from there, the biggest play that I actually want to be on in this game is going to be Deontay Johnson. At 5.8, that is simply too cheap. One of my rules last year was until Deontay Johnson is priced correctly, I'm going to keep rostering him. And to me, that'd be like 6.5. He actually had a price decrease last week, $200 cheaper this week. And that was after getting 12 targets. Yeah, sure, the game went into overtime. He was still targeted heavily. He still had seven receptions, 55 yards. Okay, obviously Mitchell Trubisky did not look good. Okay, that is the problem. That's probably why he's this cheap. I just don't see those targets going away regardless. Like nine targets a game, eight targets a game. Like that should continue to be there for him. And he's impressive. He just gets open early and often. And I will say Chase Claypool is very cheap. 4.7 for a guy that had six rushing attempts. There's a lot of end arounds for him and six targets like he was heavily involved in the offensive plan and I just do not see that going away so Chase Claypool could be an interesting little value cheap play that you guys want to go with and I will say the Steelers D was very impressive at 2.8 they are defense that I do think you should look at you know even with TJ Watt out I still think they're going to be solid okay the Pats O-line did not look good okay so they should be able to get pressure on Mac Jones still and Mac Jones himself like he did not look sharp he does have those injuries so if he does play, like you still worry about that. He did not look good. Steelers D did look good. It's kind of as simple as that. You could easily play him, um, you know, and that'd be a fine defensive play there. All right. So getting to the Miami Dolphins versus the Baltimore Ravens, a game that I'm pretty excited for. And it kind of brought up this like random thought of mine. I'm like, could you just imagine uh, Lamar Jackson and Tyree killed together? Like that would be an unstoppable, unstoppable combo. I know he was with Patrick Mahomes and whatnot, kind of the same thing, but just how like Lamar Jackson operates and how uh, Tyree Kill operates like, oh gosh, that would've been so fun to watch. I just want to, I, that was just a random thought I had. I'm like, that'd be fun. Anyways, the game is set at a 45 over and under and the Miami Dolphins are three and a half point underdogs. And I think that's mostly because the Ravens are, uh, they have home field advantage because Miami looked good. They looked really good. Uh, I mean, the Dolphins did a very good job both on offense and on defense. I will say it was truly the defense that won them that game. They were able to get a ton of pressure on Mac Jones, okay? Baltimore's D was without Marcus Peters last week, and Kyle Fuller got injured, okay? So that could create some opportunities for the Miami Dolphins passing game. That easily could. And really, with the offense you know, not led by Joe Flacco, like the Jets were last week, like... Tua should be able to have a good game. Like they should be able to take advantage of this matchup somewhat with, you know, two of the top or one, two of the top better uh, defensive backs in the league being injured and out in this game. The matchup to watch this game is, is going to be Marlon Humphrey versus Tyreek Hill. Now, I don't think he, Marlon Humphrey is going to really provide that much resistance for Tyreek Hill, but if he does have a game in which is less than stellar, it's going to be because Marlon Humphrey went out and had a good game. Uh, I will say, like Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds. They both look good, and Raheem Mostert looked like the better runner. Now, he didn't play that much, okay? He only had five carries for 16 yards, but he did look like the better runner, more dynamic runner. Uh, Chase Edmonds was very impressive, though, in the passing game, so I do kind of expect that to be more the norm. Maybe we see Raheem Mostert get a couple more carries, uh, but maybe we see Chase Edmonds get a little bit more touches in the backfield. And just throwing out there, guys, I already kind of mentioned this on a previous like talk about uh, how Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake were just terrible. They looked bad. Okay, so we're just not playing them. And really, I, I don't see the point of paying Rashad Bateman. Uh, he he was all right. Five targets, just wasn't targeted enough. And then you look at Devin Dudenrevay, like, sure, had two big deep bomb plays. That could happen any week for him, okay? Like, I don't mind that. And then really the play 
for the Baltimore Ravens would be Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is that offense. The offense flows through him and obviously Lamar Jackson, but seven targets, five receptions, 52 yards. If that is his floor, which I kind of think it is, he'd be someone that we want to play at 6.4 to get that $400 price decrease. That is something I'm intrigued in. That is something I think would be worth paying up for uh, if you're trying to pay up for tight end. If you don't want to pay Tyler Conklin, you could pay up for Mark Andrews at the tight end spot. Looking at the receivers, obviously Tyree Kill, I like guys. The, the offense was literally designed around Tyreek Hill. They brought him in to be the focal point in this offense, and that is exactly, exactly what happened, okay? 12 targets, 8 receptions, 94 yards, and he was able to put up 18 DK points without a touchdown. That, that's the easiest way to sum it up. Like, he was heavily involved in this offensive plan, and I expect that to continue once again. And the thing that I like the most about, like, the Tyreek Hill play is you watch the game of the Jets versus the Ravens last week. They were perfectly content with letting passes of, like, 2 to 3 yards be completed and just, you know, suffocating the, um, the offense, a player, whoever caught it from there. So like Tyree kill, that's kind of how we got used. I would say about half of his receptions or two thirds of his targets were of that nature, two to three yards, let Tyree kill work. So like he should have a nice safe floor in this one. And I really like him as a play. He is someone that I want to pay for a ton. Like each and every week, I think I'm going to be paying up for Tyree kill. And really on the slate, we'll see it comes down to, do you want to pay up for Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill? Like which one of those two possibly are you going to pay up for? I really like Tyree Kill, but I'll say I like those other players as well. If I had to, I guess I would choose the Finns at three and a half point underdogs. I could see them winning this game, especially if they played the way that they did last week. All right, getting to the next game, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, a little bit of a revenge game, I guess, for the Colts since the Jacksonville Jaguars kept them out of the playoffs last year. So Matt Ryan... He came in and did not look that good last week. He was still able to throw for 352 yards and a touchdown. But really the reason why the Houston Texans were in that game were because he had a terrible fumble on like a third down play, just fumbled the snap, and he had a bad interception. Like he didn't look good for a majority of this game. But that's, I don't know, that's kind of like week one football. Like they just didn't have it together in the first half. And then Matt Ryan kind of figured it out. He's like, oh yeah, I'm playing in a football game again. You know, like in the second half, he kind of had it going had it turned up. We saw Jonathan Taylor really have a great second half. We saw um, we saw Michael Pittman also have a very good second half. He had 13 targets for 121 yards and a touchdown, nine receptions. Like, obviously, he had a really good game, and he should be able to have a good game once again this one. So if you want to pay up for Michael Pittman at 6.7, they figured out his price point. You can easily do that still. Uh, but there is one value play that I actually really like for the Colts, okay? And that is actually going to be Austin Doolin. And I think I said that right. So he or Ashton Doolin. He came in for Alec Pierce, who might sit out. I think he has a concussion and I, I probably not going to get cleared. We'll see. You never know with concussions. Uh, he could sit. And if he does sit, Doolin at 3.2 is actually a pretty, pretty decent value play. Okay. He ended up coming in and playing like 50% of the receiver snaps. And a lot of those coming in the second half, once Pierce was ruled out, he could be the receiver number three in this offense. And I want to point out the fact that Curtis Samuel just kind of dominated the Jags. Like he was the offense there for the Jags. And I could see the Colts coming in, watching that game film and seeing how Curtis Samuel was used, um, you know, manufacturing a lot of plays to Curtis Samuel. I could see them doing that once again and using dueling because, you know, he's the slot receiver. He's kind of that quick play, big play type of player. So I could see him coming in and actually, you know, being able to hit value at 3.2, being able to get 10 DK points at 3.2. Okay. He came in, had six targets, three receptions for 46 yards. And he also nearly had a TD, one that he kind of just couldn't get both feet down and, and just dropped it. Basically, it was a little bit of a tough catch, but you want to see him make that. And then he also had a catch that was, you know, he got down on the two yard line. So could have could have scored a touchdown on that. So like the path for him to ha- be a good value play is definitely going to be there. Obviously the plays in this game are going to be Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Jonathan Taylor, if you can afford to pay up for him, you just want to do it. Now I will say like the Washington offense is definitely different than how the Colts offense operates. Like Antonio Gibson was used a lot in the passing game, but Antonio Gibson still had a good week in DFS. And so that's my long way of saying like, I don't see, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars being able to provide any or much resistance to Jonathan Taylor. You know, he should still be able to have a really strong game in this one. So I would st- definitely still play Jonathan Taylor. I think he's going to be able to have a massive game. There are some other running back plays that I like as well. So maybe you don't have to play him, but he should be in for a strong game. And I, I don't know if I said this off the top, but the Jacksonville Jaguars are three and a half point underdogs and the game over and under is set at 45 and a half. Okay. So there are going to be some points there. Now getting into the Jacksonville Jaguars side of the ball. Um, Man, Trevor Lawrence is, I don't know how to describe him really because you can see he has all the tools to be an elite quarterback in this league. Like he sees the play. Most of the time he's able to make the play. Um, 
He's rating defense as well. He can throw all the passes that you want him to throw, has an incredible arm. It's just a little bit inaccurate. And it's that inaccuracy that really just makes you want to pull the, the hair out of your head because it is annoying. It really is. Like Travis Etienne should have had two touchdowns at two separate points of this game. And I'm not even talking about the drop touchdown. Okay, on the first drive of this game, Trevor Lawrence had Travis Etienne wide open for a touchdown and he just missed him. It was like a little, I think it was a little wheel route and he just missed him. Then later on uh, in the like six minutes left in the second quarter, he hits Travis Etienne, but it's behind him and Travis Etienne kind of stumbles because of that. If he just puts it on him, or lean or leads him a little bit like Travis Etienne is able to walk in for a touchdown later on he missed Marvin Jones for what would have been a touchdown or like a big huge play okay and that is just the norm it's like a lot of the times he's just not putting the ball on receivers and I don't know if it's like don't fuck up just like throw it up to them and you know like just make them catch it I, I don't know but it's just frustrating because the big plays are there and they should be there he's just messing them up because he's not able to put it on them accurately it's very annoying Okay, but that being said, the plays were still there for Travis Etienne. That was nice to see. You got James Robinson, who put together a great game, had 11 rushing attempts, a touchdown there, and also had a receiving touchdown. He had a very fantastic game, looked very good. Travis Etienne did look very good as well in a limited workload. Like the big plays were definitely there for him. And that's kind of the problem with those two. It's like they're kind of both eating into each other and they're both priced to a point where you can't really play either of them. And both of them actually could have had big games. Like both of them could have had enough big games. I will say Christian Kirk did what we expected. 12 targets, had 117 receiving yards, was able to score 20 DK points without a touchdown. And he did almost have a touchdown. Uh, He was like on the five yard line. His big toe just barely stepped out while he was diving for the touchdown. So like, you know, if his big toe just stays in balance there, he has a touchdown and has a much better game than the one that he had here. But still at 5.7 to get a guy that's going to get around 10 targets, that's the focal point of this offense. That is highly intriguing to me. And I will say Zay Jones, guys, at 4.3 is an incredible price point. Now, him, Christian Kirk, and Marvin Jones all played in 80% of the offensive snaps. So like Marvin Jones could easily be a great play. And like I said, Trevor Lawrence missed him on a touchdown. But Zay Jones got nine targets, six receptions, 65 yards. Like they brought him to be, they brought him in to be this player. And so like, honestly, like this could be a nice little game stacking game. So I'm just going to clear this out. We're going to game stack this real quick because you could easily do it if you wanted to. And I don't know if you want to play Matt Ryan or Trevor Lawrence. Like I said, Trevor Lawrence is just annoying because the big plays are there. He just needs to make them. Let's just put Matt Ryan in there for now. Um, if you want to play Robinson or ETN, you could. I'm going to go Kirk, Pittman, Zay Jones, and then Doolin, Ashton Doolin. Like I said, I think he could be a sneaky, nice little value play on this slate. And then there, like you got a nice little setup of a game stack right there. I actually, it's a pretty solid game stack there. So if you want to make it, you can. All right. So now get into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. So the Buccaneers are favored to win by two and a half points. And the over and under for this game is set at 44. I kind of like taking the Saints at two and a half, but that really just depends on all these random injuries that are popping up there because there's a ton. That's what we have to monitor. Alvin Kamara is questionable. Okay, we'll have to see if he plays. He wasn't participating in drills on Thursday. Mike Evans is questionable. I fully expect him to play. Leonard Fournette was questionable. Okay. He was limited. Chris Godwin, probably not going to play. Julio Jones didn't practice. That's Jameis Winston. Sorry. He's questionable. Julio Jones, he's questionable. Okay. Wasn't on the field for the media portion of Thursday's practice. Uh, same thing with Russell Gage. Like he was questionable. Hamstring injury. We have to wait and see on, on this news. Okay. And that could dictate partially what we're doing on the site like let's just say for tampa bay let's say obviously chris godwin we don't expect to play but let's say maybe julio jones sits then russell gage would be a player that we're going out of our way to play at that price point let's say that russell gage sits then you're probably going out of your way to play julio jones like we just have to wait and see that news it was kind of crazy to see julio jones getting used in the the rushing game a little bit too rushing attempts that's a little bit crazy to me but you know that is something we would have to monitor but really the big play out of this game is going to be Leonard Fournette okay I kind of just see Leonard Fournette as a core play the guy had 21 rushing attempts two targets was on the field for 76 percent of the offensive snaps his opportunities per snap percent was 49 percent so on 49 percent of the snaps that he was in on he had an opportunity which is a target or rushing attempt. He literally just dominated this game. And it does seem kind of like the offense is going to flow through him at least well. Um, 
the offensive line is still banged up for the Bucs. Okay, they do not want Tom Brady having to throw the ball a lot right now while everyone's banged up. And he's also going against the defense that just gave up 200 total rushing yards. Okay, now I know the Saints, like partially that was due to Marcus Mariota running the ball a lot, but Cordero Patterson was able to feast against them. And if we can lock in a guy that's going to get around 75% of the offensive snaps at the running back position, that should be able to get 20 rushing attempts against a team that did struggle to stop the run last week. Like, yes, Leonard Fournette should be able to go off in this game. And at 6.7, that's highly intriguing to me to get around 20 total touches. I like that a lot. And then looking on the flip side of that, like Jameis Winston, you know, had a decent game in the fourth quarter, but up until then it was okay, you know. It is what it is. Like, I, I don't know. Jameis Winston is what he is. Alvin Kamara, you know, the game script or game flow, the plays just didn't really come to him. Like, they just didn't force him the ball at all. And I don't know if that's partially due to Jarvis Landry getting a lot more of those dump-offs, getting a lot more of those short targets. Because he had nine targets in this game, 114 yards, and seven receptions. And maybe that's something we need to monitor. I'm not worried about Alvin Kamara just yet. He looked impressive. He looked like his normal self. I don't think we should have to worry about that. But at 5.K, uh, Jarvis Landry could be a decent value pay down play on this slate. Uh, Michael Thomas was impressive, especially as the game went on. He had a couple of back shoulder touchdowns, which were impressive catches. Eight targets, you know, 57 yards is not that much for eight targets, but still had a good game, still had two touchdowns. Uh, both of those guys I do like. So, um, you know, definitely uh, a game you can attack if you want. All right. From there, we get one of my favorite games to stack. We got the Washington Commanders, the undefeated, the team that has the best winning percentage in NFL history, the Washington Commanders versus the Detroit Lions. Okay. Uh, this should be a fun game. Uh, let's just look at it. So the over and under for this game is set at 48 and a half points and the Detroit Lions are favored to win by one and a half points. I think that's the first time in like 28 games that the Detroit Lions have been favored to win in a game. And I don't see them winning. I'm betting Washington at uh, at one and a half point to win there. I like that. But I also kind of want to bet the over. Uh, the Detroit Lions, I think, are going to be a team that can score. And they can score in garbage time, kind of like what they did last week. And you got the Washington Commanders with uh, Carson Wentz, who looked very sharp. And they are able to use all of their weapons. So I do really like chasing the Washington Commanders here. Um, and really, for a majority of that game last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, they were dominating. Okay, They kind of just let the Jags sneak back into it, and they almost let them win. But if both teams, the Detroit Lions and the Washington Commanders, bring their A game, I would say that the commanders would win. Now, I do want to talk about Antonio Gibson here because, sure, he he had all that talk this offseason about him, about Brian Robinson potentially replacing him, and he came in and had a good game. Like he kind of had to against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Looked very impressive in the passing game. You know, eight targets, seven receptions, 72 yards. Like it was a very fluent catching uh, the ball. Like he looked like a natural pass catcher, okay, which is a good thing for a running back. Always still had... 14 rushing attempts, you know, 22 total opportunities. That is something we obviously like to chase. At 6.2, I do think he's priced up a little bit too much. But going against the, the Detroit Lions, he should be able to have a decent game. And I will say Curtis Samuel, guys, at 4.6 is a great, great value price point. It's basically like getting a running back at 4.6. He had 11 total targets and four rushing attempts. Okay, this is kind of what they always envisioned when they brought in Curtis Samuel. And kind of my one thing that I'm irritated about from last week is that a lot of the Washington Commanders beat writers were saying that this was a possibility. Like none of them were shocked that this happened. And that unfortunately for me is something I'm I'm mad at myself for. But I will say that was due to me really liking uh, Dotson, who ended up having two touchdowns. So I, I won't say I was right about that, but it was lucky that it happened. You know, two touchdowns, and he made a phenomenal catch on his second touchdown there as well. So the big play ability is there for him. The biggest takeaway from the Washington side of it is that Carson Wentz was very impressive. He had like three bad plays, okay, and two of them were uh, intercepted there. But besides that, like the touchdowns that he made were three out of them were really impressive throws. The one to Terry McLaurin was a very impressive throw. And he was just accurate when he needed to be that game. Threw the ball 41 times, 300 passing yards, four TDs. Now, obviously, we don't expect that. But the Detroit Lions did just give up a lot of points to Jalen Hurts, okay? And so I could see Carson Wentz still having a good game. And at 5.8, that is a great price point. You could easily stack this game. Now, looking at the Lions side of the ball, DeAndre Swift is currently questionable. He was a non-participant in practice. So if he sits, then yes, you are just putting in Jamal Williams at 5.4. You just got to do that. He had 11 rushing attempts, two targets. He'd be, you know, the RB1 in that offense. And that, at that price point with the workload that he will most likely get, that's just going to be way, way too cheap. Okay, so we got to monitor that. And I would say that that's kind of the worry with DeAndre Swift. And that's probably why Jamal Williams is getting that short yardage workload because they can't trust DeAndre Swift to, to stay healthy. And that's probably why they're never going to give him that full allotment of a workhorse back workload. 
And plus, like, Jamal Williams is good. But we look at what the Jacksonville Jaguars just did against the Washington Commanders, where James Robinson had two touchdowns, where Travis Etienne should have had two touchdowns. Like, that boys very well for both of them, especially DeAndre Swift, who can, you know, both run the ball extremely well and catch the pass out of the backfield very well like he should have a good game he's someone that i like especially in gpps he's someone i'll chase i do see him being able to score 20 dk points in this game receiver wise i do like curtis samuel like i said for the washington commanders i will be playing him a decent amount i think that's a great price point for a guy that is going to be involved in the offensive game plan that is something i'm going to be chasing uh amon rod st brown 12 targets eight receptions 64 yards and a touchdown he was on the field a ton, 87% of the offensive snaps for the Detroit Lions. So that's obviously going to lead to getting targeted a decent amount in a game that I think we can game stack. He'd be a player that I want to go out of my way to play, but I do really like the price point of DJ Chark as well. At 5.1, this is a great price point. Eight targets for him, four receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. He was in for 80% of the snaps last week for the Detroit Lions. I really like playing both of them, just not together. Obviously, if you're game stacking, you probably would. But if we were doing like this game stack, then you would probably have to play Jared Goff at quarterback, which I don't exactly love, but you could. And then you'd probably have to play DeAndre Swift. Just a fun game to watch, a fun game to target DFS-wise because it's pretty easy to stack and you're not like too strapped price point-wise. All right, so now getting into the Seattle Seahawks versus the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, the game over and under for this game is 41. The Seahawks are eight and a half point underdogs, but the caveat is this little rain cloud right here. Okay. Is it going to rain again? Is it going to hinder the offensive play once again? Uh, that would suck. That'd be pretty funny as well. Uh, we got to see. Okay. We got to wait and see in the weather report and see what happens there. But I really like actually Seattle at eight and a half. If that weather report of it raining a decent amount holds to be true. Okay. Especially with George Kittle possibly sitting once again we have to wait and see on this news if george kittle sits i do like the seahawks a little bit more this might be a situation where you put a bet in for the seahawks at 8.5 plus eight and a half sorry for now and if george kittle sits then you keep it there if he plays then you just cash it out like you don't have to make that bet then um i will say the seattle seahawks last week were definitely outplayed they're able to get the win and I will say the Niners probably outplayed the Bears. They just didn't get the win. That was definitely more to, to weather, okay? And now you got the San Francisco 49ers without Eli Mitchell, which is going to mean that Jeff Wilson is going to be the starting running back in that offense. We could see a little bit of Jordan Mason. We'll see. That'll be something interesting to monitor, which RB is going to be the RB2 in that offense. But I do think we're going to see a lot of Debo Samuel in this game, okay? He was still targeted eight times last week in a poor weather game. That tells us that he is still the focal point in this offense, especially with George Kittle out. With George Kittle out, I do expect him to get around 16 opportunities in this game like he did last week. Like He is a hybrid player. That's how they've been using him at 7.8. That is a little bit to pay off for him. I'd rather play Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams, but I do think he's going to have a nice safe floor, and I do think he's someone that you can easily target this week um, DFS-wise. After that, I do really like uh, Brandon Ayuk, who you know, he wasn't involved in the offense that much, but... If this is a game in which the weather is not terrible, I do expect him to be involved in the offense. I think it really just comes down to that. If the weather's good, you should be able to get seven targets. You should be able to hit value at that price point. And I do really like Trey Lance in this game. Guys, he had 13 rushing attempts for 54 yards, and he had 164 passing yards in a terrible weather game. That is all good stuff. I don't really get why he's why people are trash-talking him. You look at what Trevor Lawrence did where he missed wide open players in the end zone. Then you look at Trevor Lawrence, who's just in a terrible game situation. Like it doesn't make sense. Okay. This is like Trevor or Trey Lance is like what fourth game now in the NFL and he's getting bashed. Like I, I don't get it. Okay. He didn't play that poorly. All things considered, he's a running quarterback. Okay. And it was in a poor weather game. Like I don't know what people expect. Honestly, he wasn't terrible. Okay. At 5.7 going against the Seattle Seahawks that absolutely were just getting, giving up passing yards at will pretty much. However, the but Broncos wanted to attack them, they could. I fully expect Kyle Shanahan to be able to drop some plays in which Trey Lance is going to be able to score some touchdowns on, whether that's with his legs or passing the ball. I, I definitely like him. Jeff Wilson, I'm not going to play at 5.1. He could easily have a good game. Like It wouldn't be shocking at all. Rashad Penny, you know, he was involved a decent amount, three targets, 12 rushing attempts. Looked very impressive doing it. Uh, but Kenneth Walker is most likely going to be back in this game, or he should be back. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Honestly, guys, like this might be a great opportunity to trade Rashad Penny before Kenneth Walker comes in and splits part of the workload because a lot of people saw Rashad Penny have a very solid Monday night football game and they'd probably be excited to, to have him and they might forget about Kenneth Walker. So I think this might be the highest we get for Rashad Penny's value. 
So in season-long leagues, you might want to get rid of him. Just a thought. Like, you don't have to. I do think, like, Rashad Penny, Elijah Mitchell, DK Metcalf are going to do enough to hit value or around value, but I don't think they're going to, like, break the slate or anything. So you don't have to go out of your way to play them. All right, getting to the Atlanta Falcons versus the LA Rams. So the Falcons are 10-point underdogs. 10-point underdogs. That is pretty crazy to me. I don't know about you guys, but I find that pretty crazy. The over and under for this game is set at 46 and a half, which I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be more than that. I think this game is going to be a high scoring game. And I like the Falcons to cover at 10 points. Now I fully expect the LA Rams to come out ready to go. Okay. This is definitely a get right spot for the LA Rams. It's a home game for them. I expect them to come out firing, but the Atlanta Falcons really dominated that game for like three and a half quarters. And then they just gave up pretty much and let the Saints said, Nope, we're the Falcons. You guys are the Saints. You guys go ahead and win. That's that's what happened pretty much. Their encouraging thing for the Atlanta Falcons is their defense did look good for a majority of the game. Cordero Patterson looked like a workhorse stud once again. Marcus Mariota was very impressive, continued his impressive play from the preseason, was involved in the running game as well. Um, and then Drake London, he looked very good as well. Um, I think he got a little bit banged up, but he should be good to go now. That was something that we'd have to monitor, but yeah, he's fine. He had seven targets for 74 yards, five receptions, 12 DK points. He was impressive. That was encouraging to see. Like I said, I do think this is a game that is going to be high scoring, but the LA Rams are going to be the side of the ball that you, I, I think that you want to attack. So we'll start with them. You got Matthew Stafford who threw the ball 41 times, still had a touchdown. Y'all, yes, he sucked. Okay. He got pressured a lot. And that's, that's the biggest worry here when, in this game. The Buffalo Bills did not blitz once in that game on Thursday night yet. Matthew Stafford was sacked seven times and was pressured on 15 times that game. Okay. The Atlanta Falcons had four sacks and eight quarterback hits. So, you know, one of those has to give either the Rams are going to be better offensively with that pressure or the Falcons are going to be able to get home and cause Matthew Stafford a little bit of pressure. Okay. Either way, I do think Matthew Stafford is going to be a good play. I do see him getting 20 DK points in this one. Like, sure. That was just a week one. Haven't played a lot of preseason or didn't play at all in the preseason. You need to get those live reps in. Receiver-wise, obviously, Cooper Cup, you, you just want to play. They just got torched by Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. Uh, if you look at like what Jarvis Landry was able to do, he was able to get open early and often. Like That is highly encouraging for anyone planning on rostering Cooper Cup this week. The targets should continue to be there for him. 15 targets last week, 128 yards in the touchdown. Like I don't see that going away. I mean, maybe not 15 targets, but you know, 10 targets, having a very good game. It's definitely in the realm of possibilities. I sort of expect it. The thing with like Allen Robinson here is I am wondering here. Like I can see the Rams going back and watching film, seeing Michael Thomas have two of those uh, back shoulder catches in the red zone. And be like, all right, Allen Robinson, these are your plays. Like, that is his specialty. I could see that happening. And maybe they see how open he was and be like, all right, we need to get him the ball. And maybe that means someone like Tyler Higby is not as involved in the offense. But he did play a majority of the snaps with the starters. So Tyler Higby is a very intriguing play. He had five receptions, 39 yards, and on 11 targets, guys. So if those targets continue at 4.2 to get a guy that played in a majority of snaps in a game, that should favor the Rams. Like Tyler Higby could absolutely go off in this game. So for me right now, I'm looking at Mark Andrews, Tyler Conklin, or Tyler Higby as the tight end plays, because if that continues, which it kind of seems like it's going to, Tyler Higby is at an extremely good price point there. And I will say Ben Skoranek there. Yes, I, I nailed his name this time. He played a lot. He played a lot more than I think anyone would have thought. He played in 58% of the offensive snaps. And if you look at what Matthew Stafford played in, 67% of the offensive snaps, okay? Because obviously backups and stuff, it was kind of a blow. That is that is crazy there, okay? He played a lot. He was targeted six times, had four receptions, to the point where if you looked on Twitter that night, they were getting annoyed that he was getting involved in the passing game. And, and us, having followed it and having known that he was a good value, we were kind of enjoying it. It was a lot of fun. Like he had value at six point uh, with 6.5 DK points. You know, he's a cheap price tag in a game that should favor them. They should be able to pass the ball a lot. Like it's a cheap price tag. Could he get 10 DK points? He could. And maybe you're just potentially trying to game stack this game. And that's the route that you go. Um, so looking at it, like, yes, Marcus Mariota. Could he rush the ball a lot again? He could because the LA Rams just gave up a lot of rushing attempts to Josh Allen. That's probably going to be how the Atlanta Falcons try to attack them. So that'd be a route that you can go. Um, like Cordero Patterson, certainly a strong play at 6K. It's a great price point play for a guy that heavily was involved in the offense. 22 rushing attempts, five targets. Like he looked like his same self from early last season. So at 6K, you could easily play him. And now we got a nice little juicy game stack going here. I will say like Darrell Henderson, you can play if you want to. 
I'm not going that route. I think he's priced up a little bit too much for me. There's some other running back plays that I like a little bit more, but easy game stack there, a fun game stack there as well. Now moving on into the Arizona Cardinals versus the Las Vegas Raiders. This should be a high scoring game. It's set at 51 and a half total points. Okay, the Las Vegas Raiders are actually five and a half point favorites, which I find kind of crazy. I kind of like betting the Cardinals there. Okay, both teams are obviously coming off of a disappointing week one. You had the Cardinals who couldn't stop anything the Chiefs were doing, and you had the Raiders who really struggled on offense. You had Derek Carr who had three turnovers and had two fumbles, okay? And then you had Kyler Murray who had 20 DK points, which is still good. And like Derek Carr, five passing yards away from you know having 20 DK points too with that 300-point uh, bonus. Like they both had respectable weeks in DFS, but they both struggled. Like if you watch the game, you could tell that they both struggled. Okay, the biggest thing that we have to monitor here with Derek Carr is that he was getting pressured a decent amount. Okay. And I do expect this to be an easier matchup going against the Cardinals because the Chargers defense was just good. Okay. That would be the biggest worry is that the Chargers defense last week were just good. I don't think the Cardinals defense is going to be as good. So I do expect Derek Carr to be able to throw and have time to throw and be able to make those decisions that he needs to. Kyler Murray, I'm perfectly fine with, but honestly, guys, if we're trying to game set this game, which I do kind of suggest, you're playing Derek Carr over um, at receiver. You do just want to pay up for Devontae Adams. Obviously, the Cardinals just got smoked in the passing game last week. They did. Okay, so you got Devontae Adams, who was targeted 17 times. Okay, he had 10 receptions for 141 yards and a touchdown. Like, he was the same Devontae Adams that he was with the Green Bay Packers. And at 8.6, I would much rather pay him than pay up for Cooper Cup. At 9.9, that is pretty crazy to me, okay? The situation is basically the same, same game, except for you're getting Devontae Adams at a little bit cheaper. Like, I'd much rather go with that. Obviously, you want to fit Cooper Cup if you can, but Devontae Adams at that price point makes a lot more sense. From there, like, I don't mind the running back plays. Like, James Conner could certainly do well. I thought Josh Jacobs did look good. He just didn't get involved in the offense that much. If Rondell Moore is out once again, Greg Dortch, our preseason stud, he becomes a great play, okay? He was on the field the second most out of any receiver, which really not too shocking, okay? It's, it's just not. He had nine targets, seven receptions, 63 yards. That is the exact player that he was in the preseason, so it's no shock that they knew what they had in him and they wanted to play him. Like, if Rondell Moore is out once again, I do expect him to play more than A.J. Green again, and I do expect him to get um, targeted heavily. Okay, at 3.5, it's kind of just the obvious value play on the site. I might just play him in my cash build, honestly, if Rondell Moore is out, because I don't expect that playing time to change. Obviously, we don't know that for sure, but I do expect that to change. Marquise Brown, you know, he's a guy that is going to have some big games here. This could be a great spot for him. If you're trying to game stack, it does make sense. Six targets last week, 43 yards, and a pretty impressive touchdown catch. You could play him if you want to. All right, now getting to the Houston Texans versus the Denver Broncos. The Houston Texans are 10-point underdogs in this one, okay, which is pretty crazy there. And the game over and under is set at 46, okay? I don't really have any bets for this game. Um, I do just want to say a lot of people were surprised that Rex Burkhead was the lead running back in this offense, which I wouldn't say was that much of a shock. I would say like the game script that dictated Rex Burkhead to be the lead running back was strange. Okay. Cause like if they were down, yes, it makes more sense to get Rex Burkhead in the game. Okay. But he, he was good when he played. So it's not like, it's not like he's going to lose this job, but Pierce did look good as a, as a runner as well. He's just not as involved in the passing game. And I think that's why Rex Burkhead ended up playing. You got Levy Smith saying that he wants to get Pierce involved in the, a little bit more. You know, I don't think either of those are going to be players that you're trying to play in this game going against the Denver Broncos. Um, and I just, I don't really like anyone from Houston too much in this game. Like I'm just not going to be playing any of them, to be honest with you guys. I think this is a perfect get right spot for the Denver Broncos. You just play Russell Wilson. He should be able to feast. Obviously through the ball a ton, had a lot of passing yards there. Should be able to get two touchdowns in this one. And I think Cortland Sun's going to be the biggest beneficiary from that. Obviously a lot of the targets last week went to running backs. That gets corrected to the receivers. He had seven targets last week. If he gets a little bit more, you know, 10 targets, let's say he gets six receptions, should be able to get to 100 uh, receiving yards. It feels a lot like Michael Pittman has a play last week, honestly, going against the Texans. They're like a little bit too cheap for what he should be able to do in this game. From there, we got the Dallas Cowboys versus the Cincinnati Bengals. And honestly, guys, this is not a game that I really like either. Like Joe Mixon, you can easily play at the running back spot. Going to get used a lot. Had 27 rushing attempts, nine targets last week. And I kind of expect that to be the game flow. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be without Dak Prescott. That means they got Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is a serviceable backup. Like, he's not terrible, not good, though. He can do all right. The game plan for them is going to be to establish the run with Zeke. Like, that's what they're going to try to do. Will they be able to do that? We will see. But honestly, guys, like the Cincinnati Bengals defense at 2.2 going against a backup, going against the Dallas Cowboys offense that looked terrible. Like, they played basically five full quarters last week and still have scored two DK points. Like, that's encouraging to me. They're the one defensive play that I'm really going out of my way to play this week. All right, now getting to the Chicago Bears versus the Green Bay Packers. The Chicago Bears are nine and a half point underdogs, and 
over and under for this game is set at 41 and a half. Now, I kind of like betting the Bears to cover at nine and a half, but I do definitely expect the Packers to win. I kind of just think the Bears will be able to cover in garbage time. Okay. And I got some hot takes for you guys in this game. So if Alan Lazard sits, and we'll have to see on that, like Christian Watson is just an elite play. He is. Okay. Elite play. Okay. Maybe not elite play. Let's not go crazy with it. A solid play. Okay. I can't believe that his price point dropped this much just because he dropped that 75 yard touchdown. Like to me, that's highly encouraging that that play was there. He burned Patrick Peterson on that play, was wide open for a touchdown. He's a player that didn't get that many live reps in camp, didn't really practice in camp at all. That was his first game, or first play as an NFL player. You talk about what Jamar Chase went through last year in preseason and in camp. Talk about all those drops that he had. And then he came out in real time and eventually dominated. Like to me, that was encouraging that he was open. And he also played the second most receiver snaps at 41 total snaps or at 40 and Sammy Watkins played 41. Like that was just impressive to me. The fact that he was able to get four targets, was able to have two catches for 34 yards. That was impressive to me. Obviously you get a game against the Bears, a game that should just be better against the Bears. Like if the Packers are favored to win by that many points, nine and a half points, like touchdowns are going to be coming. And yes, they're most likely going to go to AJ Dillon or Aaron Jones, but it wouldn't be shocking to see Christian Watkins Watson finally have a coming out party. Now, Romeo Dobbs did look good. He's going to be a solid receiver, but I think Christian Watson, they want him to be the guy and he looks like the guy. So like, I would not be shocked if Romeo Dobbs has a good game. Now, I will say the Green Bay Packers did not choose to have Jari Alexander shadow Justin Jefferson last week or any of their DBs really shadow. They stayed in their same concept. If that continues once again, I think Darnell Mooney, a guy that can get open pretty well, is going to have a good game. Obviously, last week for the Bears, the weather... It was a weather game. You know, the biggest takeaway is that the Bears D was a very good D. And that's going to sound weird if someone clips that. Um, I don't think we have to play them this week. But, you know, they played well in the weather last week. They were solid. I thought they'd be a solid D and they were. Um, AJ Dillon, you can play at this price point. Really until AJ Dillon is priced appropriately, which is at the same price point as Aaron Jones. You're still going to continue to roster him. All right. So now we've got two games left. And I'm not really going to touch on them too much. Tennessee is 10-point underdogs. The over and under for this game is set at 40 points. Okay. So really, it's it's simple with the Bills. Like, yeah, sure, you want to play Josh Allen, you want to play Diggs, you want to play Gabriel Davis, and you want to play Devin Singletary. Like, you just want to fit those four in there. And I will say the one value play that I want to point out is going to be Kyle Phillips, who played the third most receiver snaps ahead of Traylon Burks, the rookie receiver. They're both rookies. He had nine targets, six receptions, 66 yards. It was kind of expected that he would be kind of their slot receiver, and he gets open a ton. So it's no real shock that he led the team in targets, 66 uh, yards, like a negative game script and a game that the Titans are going to have to throw the ball a lot. I really like Kyle Phillips. He should be able to see a little bit more playing time in this one as well. He only played in 31 out of 68 total snaps, but obviously he was targeted a lot on those snaps. So Kyle Phillips is a value play that I like. Full slate wise, showdown wise, we're going to be chasing them. Honestly, guys, right now for the Philadelphia Eagles Minnesota game, I don't have that many feelings thus yet. I think you're, we're going to be targeting the running backs, Dalvin Cook and Miles Sanders for sure. Justin Jefferson for sure. Maybe Dallas Goddard. Like we'll have to see. Like that's that's kind of where I'm struggling there. And I want to give you guys some showdown based advice. And I just don't have that yet. So I apologize for that. But that is all I have for you guys for the full slate breakdown. It was a deep dive, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please give me a like and subscribe. That does help out the channel a lot. If you guys want to join 9to5 membership-wise, we got a $10 membership. It's mostly a PGA DFS membership, but we do have some DraftKings-based tools. Like we got the cheat sheet out there. And then we also have the DraftKings lineup optimizer, $10 a month. If you guys want that, links in the description below. But that's all I have for you guys. Thanks for watching. As always, let's keep cash.